Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. scripture is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present health in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen.
gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Early in my time as a pastor at the ripe old age of 27, I found myself exhausted from the demands of ministry. My district superintendent, who in the United Methodist system is, is like the pastor's pastor, said to me as I sat in her office, you are the bent over woman, referring to that uh, person in scripture, that follower of Jesus who was doubled over um, by the load of her, her burdens and maybe even some sort of illness. I sat in uh, my, my district superintendent's office at, at, a, at a table and I was, I was bent over so much so that my head was almost on the table in front of me. And she said to me in that clear voice of caring authority, I am ordering you to take the rest of the week off. And so I did. And at the end of the week, Elizabeth and I decided to take a drive. We had no particular destination. We lived in Lawrence, Kansas at the time, which is about an hour west of Kansas City. So almost every time we went somewhere, we headed east on I-70 to Kansas City. But this time we headed north into the golden expanse of the Great Plains in the fall. As the land nears the Missouri River, it begins to become very hilly, and the closer the river gets, the more dramatic the swells. After about an hour's drive, we came upon the town of Atchison, set on the bluffs over the river. And as we approached, we saw a cross high on one of the highest hills. It became a quest to find what was beneath that cross. And so we, we drove through winding streets and climbing hills, and finally we came to the end of the street that ended on the highest hill. And there it was, Mount St. Scholastica, a Benedictine monastery of monks, women who had created a separateness for the life of the Spirit in the midst of a very busy world. The Benedictines are one of the oldest orders and draw their patterns and their way of faith from Benedict. Benedict was a 6th century cleric who was instrumental in establishing monasteries and the monastic way of life across Europe and even across this country. Scholastica, for whom Mount St. Scholastica is named, was Benedict's twin sister. But the Benedictine patterns of prayer throughout the day and even the night and drawing away from the busyness of the world did not originate with Benedict, with Benedict and Scholastica. They drew heavily from the practices and wisdom of the desert mothers and fathers. The desert mothers and fathers were Christians who lived in the 3rd to 5th centuries in Egypt and the lower Mediterranean. Often called Amas and Abbas, they left the cities of their region for a variety of reasons. Epidemics, political corruption, social upheaval, persecutions, and later the theological debates within Christianity. Sound familiar? But their main motivation in going to the de into the desert was their desire to get closer to God 
to remove any distraction or obstruction as they sought perfect union with the source of all life. Though most of the preserved stories of the desert monastics are of men, it is estimated that women who left the cities for the desert actually outnumbered the men by two to one. For many of us, this time of solitude in our homes and limited uh, social interaction and anxiety about social injustice and fear of even hoping for change, and in some cases the loss of those very dear to us, has led to a desert time. Now this is not exactly like our current situation. History tells us that the those who left the cities for the deserts um, chose their vocation and their location. But did they? Is a required escape really a choice? And so they, like we, find ourselves in these very quiet places. And certainly there is a new kind of opportunity for the deepening of the spirit. Do the Amas and the Abbas of the desert have anything to help us through our own desert time? Well, for one thing, they can help us understand silence. The desert mothers and fathers left the city seeking the silence of the desert. But the reality seems to have been that instead of sustained silence and just the absence of noise, they learned the contours of silence, what it offers, what it says, how it shows up. One of the desert Abba's, Abba Pullman, offers this wisdom. A man may seem to be silent, but if his heart is condemning others, he is babbling ceaselessly. But there may be another who talks from morning till night, and yet he is truly silent. That is, he says nothing that is not profitable. The paradox they found in the desert was that silence wasn't a guaranteed path to nirvana. It may have been an important condition to hear God, but the inner dialogue, whether it was condemning of others or judgmental of the self, could, could drown out the voice of the divine. It was just as important to maintain an inner silence and perhaps even more important than an outer silence. And the consciousness of thought and presence that produced speech was also an important dimension when silence was broken. And history shows us that by and large, isolation wasn't part of this desert scene. Though our picture of the desert fathers and mothers and all who gathered in the, in the desert to, to seek God is, is maybe of this hermit's shack surrounded by gold and sand, the truth is that the desert Christians often lived in groupings, some even large enough to be called the earliest monasteries. Most people need other people, and in their spiritual quest they found that groups and communities were more helpful than complete solitude, even if their personal dwellings were somewhat socially distant. Where they sought refuge from the chaos and violence of the world, those who fled to the desert came face to face with their own worst demons. In the desert were the same quick tempers or propensities to substitute frantic work for measured spiritual discipline or judgmentalism 
or petty conflicts. The desert became a mirror of the soul reflecting weaknesses and strengths, struggles and longings. What they found was that they met themselves in the desert and it was no utopia. What many are finding during our own desert time is that long-held and unhelpful habits have come to the fore. Painful and difficult places able to be avoided by activity or some kind of distractionary habit are now fully present. What we realize is that where we we previously may have countered a measure of success in our attempts to avoid pain and loss. Now the desert invites us to face and befriend these places. The paradox of the desert is that what we may have been seeking to avoid was actually covering something useful, beautiful, or even full of blessing. What we thought we knew may have served its purpose And the hint of new knowledge calls us into the unknown. The expanse of the desert with its shifting sands beckons to us. To be. To watch and pray. To let go. Another story from the desert. One day some monks came to see Anthony of Egypt, the most renowned hermit of his day. With them was Abbot Joseph. Anthony chose a text from scripture and, beginning with the youngest monk, asked each one what it meant. Each gave his own opinion as he was able, but to each one the revered teacher said, You have not understood it. Last of all, he said to Abbot Joseph, How do you explain this saying? The abbot replied, I do not know. Then Anthony said, Indeed, Abbot Joseph has found the way. For he has said, I do not know. Ultimately, what the desert mothers and fathers were after was a closer relationship with God. They felt God's invitation to let go of absolutely everything that was a barrier to their own goals and God's call in their life. The desert time contains that same invitation for us. We are invited to let go of absolutely everything that is a barrier to God's call in our lives. This letting go is the work. And unlike the image of pristine desert silence we may have, the desert is messy, is often really hot, and takes even more discipline than the typical modern day life. The truth is that control is an illusion and that God's reach and vision is far beyond our capacity to fully achieve or fully understand. But we can listen. We can follow. We can carve away defenses and distractions to find the blessing in being and being with God. The desert mothers and fathers learned that one way through the discipline required in this life was to pray the Psalms throughout the day. Psalm 139 encourages eight periods of prayer in a 24-hour period, one in the night and seven others from just before dawn until the setting of the sun. The Benedictines adopted this practice Throughout this series on plagues and perils, I'll be sending out two psalms each week, 
one to pray upon your rising and the other to pray before you retire. I hope you'll be a part of our community supporting each other and staying close to God in this way. Of course, if you'd like to go beyond those two prayers and pray a different psalm each day and more often than morning and night, please do so. The nuns at Mount St. Scholastica welcomed me in that day many years ago, greeting me a stranger as Christ, as is their rule. I found a home with them, volunteering in the monastery library once a week. The freedom to just be and serve without expectation was a renewing blessing to me, and the opportunity to pray with them, to be in worship without having to lead, was a welcome respite. One week, a visiting friend from out of town accompanied me on my weekly journey north to Atchison. As we drove, I said something to the effect of how I could see why women chose this life and imagined that anyone would enjoy living in the monastery. Well, the look on her face told me everything. There was no question in her mind she would never choose to live in a monastery. Now I know that it is true, the monastic life is not for everyone. It requires the discipline of the most dedicated athlete, but sometimes the monastic life chooses us and we are drawn through peril or plague into the desert place. Many Christians today are searching for more spiritual depth, and sometimes we believe we have to go outside of our tradition to find it, whether that be through Buddhist meditation, the learning of the Jewish Kabbalah, or an exploration into indigenous religions. These are important learnings and can help us see our own tradition more clearly. But the truth is that the mystical and paradoxical are in the teachings of the desert mothers and fathers, and the challenge and transcendence we often yearn for can be found in our very own scriptures. In hearing or reading the teachers of our foremothers and forefathers in faith, and praying the Psalms or reading any scriptures, sit with these words. Let them speak to you as you seek to remove distraction and obstruction between you and God, as you let go of certainty and control, as the desert mothers and fathers did. I pray that there you will discover the timeless peace and joy of our tradition. Amen. begin to bleed I think 
think I need to find a bigger place When you have more than you think you need more space Society, you're a crazy breed Hope you're not lonely without me Society Hope you're not lonely without me. Those that's thinking more or less, less is more. But if less is more, then how are you keeping score? Means for every point you make, your level drops. Kind of like starting from the top. Can't do that. Society. Your crazy breed. Hope you're not lonely without me. Society, crazy indeed. Hope you're not lonely without me. Society, have mercy on me. Hope you're not angry if I disagree. Society, crazy indeed. Hope you're not lonely without You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworth.org berkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you
wipe the cost 